Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts discuss news stories about bringing back the woolly mammoth. You know, I have a memory like a woolly mammoth. It's kind of like having a memory like an elephant, only it's fuzzy. So for, for those out there, uh, you're listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with Ray and Mark. I'm Ray. I'd be Mark. And, and this is the podcast you're, you've joined us for. The Wooly Podcast. <laughs> That's right. Uh, woolly mammoths. Uh, they may be making a comeback. Again, what about the mastodons? They, they get no love. Yeah, after reading some of the, the technical details that were, were in the article, I, I saw one in the New York Times. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to fly, and if it does, is it uh, is it really even a, a woolly mammoth? But uh, why don't why don't you uh, give us a little introduction? Okay, all right. Basically, just to spin the audience up, in case you don't watch stupid news stories for a, a living, um, there's a company called Colossal that wants to essentially bring back extinct species like the woolly mammoth. And they've just received a $15 million uh, infusion. And they say that they may be actually able to accomplish their goal with the woolly mammoth in as little as six years. And so uh, Harvard University genetics professor George Church, who's known for his pioneering work in things like genome sequencing and gene splicing, um, he hopes the company can usher in an era when mammoths can walk the Arctic tundra again. Uh, he and other researchers hope that a revived species can play a role in combating climate change. Um, and so Colossal says that they're working towards bringing back species that left an ecological void as they went extinct. Um, the company works towards conservation and preservation of endangered species, but they also identify species that can be given a new set of tools from their extinct relatives to help survive in new environments that desperately need them. So what they're doing is they're using a gene editing tool known as CRISPR-Cas9 to splice bits of DNA recovered from frozen mammoth specimens into that of an Asian elephant and the, the mammoth's apparently closest living relative. And the resulting animal, known as a mammophant, you like that? Would look <laughs> and likely behave much like a woolly mammoth. So Colossal isn't alone. The idea of mammoth de-extinction has been around for some time. And there's other groups like the California-based nonprofit Revive and Restore, which last year uh, managed the first ever clone of an endangered species, the black-footed ferret. And they've also been working on a mammoth-elephant hybrid. So this is the big new thing. I, I think it's it's important to to point out here. There's a pretty big distinction between cloning and what they're trying to do. I mean, classically, the way way cloning works with animals, like you know, if you think about Dolly the sheep, is you take a, an adult uh, somatic cell, like a muscle cell, you extract the the nucleus, then you implant that in an egg cell where you've, you've removed the nucleus. You put it through a couple of treatments where it then starts to divide and develop into an individual. Um, what they're talking about here, uh, what Colossal wants to do is just look at some of the characteristics of woolly mammoths, like, you know, uh, 
large, you know, cranial cap, um, uh, long hair. Big curly tusks. Um, yeah. And, and then try to put those, insert those genes into um, an, an Asian elephant. So they're really, they're just doing, they're creating a GMO elephant, essentially, is what they're doing. Uh, it's not really, they say it may act and, and look like a, a mammoth, but um, I, I don't know. Um, it's it's something that's really neither neither uh, neither ele- neither species. It's it's something uh, totally new. What could go wrong, right? Really, I mean, this is this is easy stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't know how how uh, how viable this idea is because another issue is they're talking about thousands of these uh, being released. Yeah. And there aren't enough elephants available to be surrogates, so now they're also talking about developing an artificial womb where they would raise these uh, hybrid uh, beasts. Now that stuff is creepy. Have you seen films of like the uh, sheep and stuff in the artificial wombs? It's, it's like really yeah creepy, yeah. very Frankensteinish. Yeah. But I guess um, as I understand it, uh, George Church and others believe that resurrecting the mammoth would help plug a hole in the ecosystem left by their decline about 10,000 years ago. And the thinking is that woolly mammoths used to scrape away snow on the Arctic tundras they roamed, which allowed cold air to reach the permafrost and maintain it. Um, and also they used to you know, knock, knock down trees, which, which encourage grasslands and things like that. So when they died off, um, you got more forests, more moss instead of um, instead of the grasslands, and you ended up uh, warming the permafrost, which started introducing um, greenhouse gases and things like that. So the thinking is, if you got big herds of these woolly mammoth-like creatures to start roaming again, um, you'd recool the permafrost and maybe help reverse some of this stuff but i don't know i yeah i i didn't really follow that logic because they said the permafrost now is mostly uh you know moss and things like that lichens and they were hoping it would return to grassland but i don't see how that would preserve the tundra i mean because you're essentially you're destroying the tundra you know the, the world was very different Climate-wise, when, when right. these when these um, mammoths were around, so I I don't know if that would apply in in today's world. Right. If it would actually do anything for the environment. I think they were they were they were probably reacting to the climate, not generating it. You know? Right. But uh, yes, that's interesting. Yeah, that you could release bison, you could release muskox. I mean, that there are contemporary animals you could you know release if that's your goal. Right. Uh, I was reading some some comments on the article, and then someone said, "Yeah, they also have really big tusks. So, you know, are they going to be poached for ivory or raised for ivory? That's right. and, you know, that <laughs> raises a whole bunch of other issues." Yeah. Right. Right. And um, you know, supposedly another another alleged advantage to all this is that the technology will help us in the preservation of endangered species that are either on the edge of extinction and they need to adapt to this new environment they just can't do it quickly enough 
um, or endangered species that actually go extinct. You know, you may be able to bring back them or a reasonable facsimile of them. So, but it just seems to me you're opening Pandora's box because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And uh, I was looking at uh, like uh, the genetic sequence of, uh, of an Asian elephant and they said that there were something like five, 5,000 uh, protein coding gene sequences and 50,000 sites uh, on, on the genome. And I'm thinking, how, how could they possibly put together something that works? Oh, my gosh. Wow. And, you know, and whatever they did would not be the same as what lived in the past. Yeah, yeah. So supposedly some of the uh, scientists looking at this, you know, are, are skeptical that it would even work, that they'd be able to do it. And even if they can do it, um, they're skeptical that there would be enough of these things to make any impact at all, because there's apparently little to no scientific evidence to back up their theories. Um, right. And also there's no evidence that it wouldn't make climate change worse <laughs> experiment, other than it's, <laughs> it is indisputably cool. And it would be really neat to see what a woolly mammoth looks like and know that it's extinct and now you're seeing as close as we can get to one, that'd be cool, but you're opening a lot of doors. Yeah, that, yeah, that would be, but is it, you know, like I said, is it, is it really a woolly mammoth? Right. It, you know, it may have a few of the characteristics of a woolly mammoth, but it's, it's not. It's like a, some sort of chimera. Well, of course, I, I demand a clone, but they're not listening to me right now. Science has to catch up to my demands. Right. So we'd start off with these. <laughs> And I guess, you know, when they talked about bringing them back, I always thought, you know, they, they found mammoths and, and mastodons, you know, frozen uh, in the tundra. And I thought, well, if they're frozen, can they just like, you know, can they clone them uh, the way they clone other things? But I guess, you know, after thousands of years, it just, the DNA is probably no longer viable. Right, right. But of course, nowadays, they're, they're getting better and better, taking degraded DNA and, uh, and mm -hmm. being able to get something usable out of it. But, you know, right. another thing I read that uh, scientists are very skeptical about is, you know, there's a counter theory that kind of says that, um, you know, it may be true that the, the extinction of the woolly mammoths thousands of years ago left a gap in the ecosystem. But in all likelihood, uh, the ecosystem has now presumably adapted to that gap, even if it's imperfect. Right. So we got a new normal now, and there's no assurance that an animal for, you know, from other regions would survive in the Arctic if you splice in other genes. Uh, plus, there's other plants and animals present. There were other plants and animals present when the mammoth lived that aren't here now. Right. So there's really no telling whether this mammoth-like creature could even live in today's environment. You know what? I, you know, another thing I wonder about is talking about the unknown. We've been we've seen what COVID can do to society. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know Murphy's law would be you create um, an animal that then creates a bridge to take this virus that we're unfamiliar with and create a bridge to get it to man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. There's so many unknowns. I just uh, I don't know. It's, it's dangerous. I think. Yeah. But also, I I don't think it's very realistic. Uh, it, it's 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 like those guys that are out, you know, hunting for Bigfoot. I I don't see it being much more successful than than that. But I want to see one. 
I know. It'd be cool. It'd be cool. I want to, we'll just have to, work. I want to pet the mammoth. I'll have to work on a time machine. That's, that's probably more realistic. Yeah. Time machine would be cool. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently there's other people complaining that, um, you know, if you're going to invest all this time and effort, why don't you aim at endangered species? You know, trying to protect endangered species instead of diverting it. We're trying to bring back stuff that's been gone for, you know, 10,000 years. And then right. there's another argument that says even if you're successful, it could make people even less concerned with environmental destruction. Because now you're claiming you can correct it. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of... I don't see it going anywhere, and they don't have a lot of money to, to have to develop some of the technology that they're talking about. They definitely don't have anywhere near the, the amount of funding they need. Then, then I also read about the uh, you know the moral question. Uh, supposedly, the modern Asian elephant and presumably the mammoth were very social animals. Um, and mm-hmm. now, will an elephant mother accept a woolly mammoth offspring or a something that's not not an Asian elephant offspring? <laughs> right. You know, and so it's like, is it, is it just mean to bring a social creature in who's going to be isolated and can't identify with anything? So it's an interesting question. You know what I started wondering about, too? I mean, that goes into this kind of stuff only by analogy. But I started thinking to myself, let's say a group of scientists said, we think if you seed the atmosphere with this chemical at these places and these times, we could... Um, stabilize the ecology, the environment of the planet, right? Let's say they had that. Mm -hmm. What would the mechanism be to basically say, okay, let's go do this. Your your approach has been green-lighted. Are we going to have countries basically potentially hosing up the atmosphere for everyone because they're doing an (laughs) experiment? Or does then each country say, okay, Let's take it to the UN. We have a majority vote. Then we'll take a risk of killing everyone. It, it's one of those. It's one of those type things. I think. And, and they've had to make those decisions in the past. Um, you know, the atomic bomb at the beginning, they didn't know if if the chain reaction could have you know spread to the atmosphere and just wiped out the whole planet. They didn't get any approvals. <laughs> you know, no, they just did their it. Bosses, they just did <laughs> it. Whoops. <laughs> Yeah. I guess that one worked. I'm still here. But it's it's pretty scary when you start to think, yeah, we've reached a point where we could destroy the whole planet if we, if we you know, make the wrong decision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and man is so flawed and can hose up so much as we've seen. You know, the, the this whole idea about um, what it can do with cloning and gene editing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if you want, I've heard you can you can pick out whether what eye color your children will have because they can do gene mm-hmm. splicing and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's scary. That's scary. You're, uh, yeah. you're playing with a lot there. Speaking of the appropriate uh, application of technology, what about uh, all the billionaires uh, blasting into space these days? What do you think of that? Well, funny you should say. Now, funny you should ask because um, I've been thinking about this. Um, I have mixed mixed feelings. Um, one, I think that um, privatization of space launches was surprisingly brilliant because these companies went, you know, from zero to in space uh, in like nine years or something like that, which is incredibly mm-hmm. fast. 
And, you know, NASA's stalwart Boeing, <laughs> you can't even get the Starliner up, you know? And so, right. and so it's really, it's really amazing. It's, it's a great, great idea. It shows you to give it to private industry to get space advancement going. You see how bureaucratic and slow and cumbersome NASA um, has been over the years. But the nice thing about NASA was it was a, like the moon landing, for instance. It was a national effort. Everybody's tax dollars pooling together to try to achieve something for mankind or for the U.S. of A. or something like that. Now, this is the private industry has. I started thinking about this when uh, they launched the Tesla into space. It's like it's like a circus sideshow trivializing what we're doing, and now we're sending celebrities up. You know, it's just right. I don't know. It's it's tacky. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like they they're accomplishing anything new. I mean, the the you know going up for a suborb suborbital hop is something we started doing in 1961. You know, Alan Shepard did it. Right. Uh, that was our first you know first man in space. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, other than it being kind of a vanity project for some of these guys, it doesn't seem to really be advancing the cause very much. Are you a Star Trek fan? I am a Star Trek fan. Okay. <laughs> what, what, I've, what I've always watched um, on the periphery, almost like a car accident, you don't want to see it, but it's kind of like something's <laughs> going to make your head turn, is this feud between George Takei and William Shatner. Ah, yes. And my theory, uh, I'm sorry, George, if you're listening, so I'm sure you're a regular listener of my podcast here with Ray. Um, no, but um, my impression is sort of like somewhere along the line, uh, George Takei figured out this is great publicity to have a feud with William Shatner. And so it started with, you know, was William or was William not invited to the wedding, to Takei's wedding? And since then, it's been trading mm -hmm. these barbs. Um, but it's pretty clear to me that even if Shatner was, you know, a boob, you know, and, and, a, and, a, and a camera grabber, you know, back in the 60s, it's like, you know, George has a problem now because he's you know, complaining about you know, how Shatner looks. He doesn't look very fit, does he? You know, it's like these catty mm -hmm. little comments. And so I was thinking to myself, you know, it'd be really funny is to, um, if you're going to launch people into space, you ought to launch the remaining cast of Star Trek <laughs> up there to see if they kill each other in space. Right. You know? Or argue, uh. the first argument, the first trivial argument in space. Elon Musk has done his his company's done probably the most useful work with you know getting crews up to the space station and flying supplies up there, right? SpaceX, and, uh, right? And the, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, and and the reusable uh, launch platforms and stuff that that's great. Um, but it still is weird to see uh, a rocket booster come down yes. first and, and land. With, with like landing gear that pop out, yep. that's still I'm not used to that. And it, it's been a and, and that's cool. Yeah, it's it's also been yeah. a long time, so I'm not going to remember the numbers. Um, but they were saying, you know, what it what it costs NASA to like put up a rocket versus what it costs one of these new style rockets when you can save the save the boosters. You know, and mm -hmm. it's remarkably cheaper. I mean, it's still astronomical money, um, right? 
but you, you can really see where th- this is why they invested all that time and effort and experimentation. But it's just amazing what private industry did and how quickly they did it um, right. compared to NASA. So that part, I think, is brilliant. Um, and it might give us a, uh, you know, even though technically they're only supposed to be doing low Earth orbit, it's supposed to be NASA's doing deep space and companies are doing right. low Earth orbit. I'm starting to think that these advancements, NASA's going to start grabbing these guys to do deep space, mm-hmm. get to Mars. Yeah. That's my goal in my but, lifetime. My lifetime, I saw the moon landing. And I've always said, I hope I'm here to see the Mars landing, but I don't know. I know. That just seems like it's going to be a one-way trip. I don't know how you get back from Mars. It's a lot of technology, radiation, distance. Yeah. A lot can go wrong. Uh, Fuel. Once you get there, you need water. You need, if you're going to make a return trip, you need fuel to get back. Um, I don't don't know. Yeah. Because just to be able to. You know, fly out something that can fly back after landing on Mars is just not very practical at this point. But we'll see. Although, you know, cosmic cosmic radiation, though, how do you deal with that? You know, nine months in space. The first woolly mammoth in space. There you go. (laughs) Wouldn't that be something? (laughs) 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 Oh, well. I'm glad you brought up the... um, the private companies in space, because I have been thinking about that a lot. Very conflicted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a lot of resources being used for like the vanity flight stuff. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's, what's getting the most publicity. I mean, I, I'd almost feel better if it was sort of like, all right, what we do is our goal is to get astronauts to the space station. Uh, but the other thing we're working on is how to deflect a meteor or something like that. You know, right. it's, it's a lot better than getting, you know, the Kardashians in space. <laughs> right. Or, or, you know, something like um, a, uh, a low cost uh, satellite communication system for developing nations, you know, launching something like that. Yeah. And that raises the whole thing about something I don't even know the answer to, but you know, this Starlink project where it's like they're, they like one launch puts up like 60 satellites. Yep. And I'm thinking, yep. You know, when you have all this junk, you know, circling the earth, aren't you making it worse or no? I mean, you know, yeah. There's there's a lot. And then what is it? Uh, oh, it's been a while since I saw the movie. Was it Gravity that uh, they had that event where the amount of objects in space reached a critical mass where it created a chain reaction and everything just collided and it just everything oh, got yeah. wiped out? Yeah. 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 So that's another interesting topic, too, is the folks looking at some technology to clean space debris. Because mm-hmm. eventually we're going to be trapped by our own artificial asteroid belt, I think. So we, should we stop here? All right. Well, we, should, should we, we need like a, like a go out on a high note. What do we got? What do we, what do we got? Oh, do you have the bell? That would do it. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Oh. Ready? Yep. <laughs> Okay, thanks for listening. Thanks for That's listening. That's all we got tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, you've been a great audience. And hey, we haven't we haven't really given a plug to our, our many listeners in a long time. Um, you can reach us at uh, catharticyardstick.com. There is uh, a link there to uh, to write us a note. Uh, if if anyone wants to ask us anything, uh, 
post a question and we will address it in the next show. That's right. We will give you life advice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have a problem, right. we'll solve it. We, we solve the world's problems every day. That's what we do. So. And between us, we've, we've got lots and lots of years of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Ray's much older than I am, but that's right. <laughs> you want to hear about a great dream I had last night? Uh, can we uh, can we put it on the podcast? Is this uh, going to get us in trouble? No, no. It's just okay, it's it's probably more appropriate for the nightmare one. It's not a, it's not a nightmare. You ever have a have a dream that you think is going to turn into a nightmare, but it just turns into stupid random stuff because only portions of your brain are firing. Well, that's what yes, happened. Yes, I've had. That's what happened to me. I dreamt I was a cowboy, right? And I knew that I was Wyatt Earp, right, in my dream. Uh. Somebody asked me who I was, and I came up with the name Wyatt W. Wyatt. <laughs> it's, my, <laughs> it's my name. And then somebody gave me a pair of cowboy boots in, like, some kind of canvas shopping bag. So, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. so I put my feet in the boots, but I left the boots in the bag. So I was trying to walk around, and I'm shuffling because my feet are still in this canvas bag. And then I mm-hmm. woke up. So that tells you about the, the gunfighting history of Wyatt W. Wyatt. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what in it the world well. was that? <laughs> but I, th- I think it's interesting because apparently, I mean, well, we'll talk about this on, on, on Nightmares, but um, apparently... You know, when you're awake, all portions of your brain are firing, you know, so your your logic is tempering things and, you know, your historical knowledge, your experience is all way. But when you're sleeping, it's just random brain cells firing. Right. Is that your understanding? So there's there's no logic mm-hmm. yep. to it. You know, so, so Wyatt W. Wyatt. I happen to remember that one. I typically don't remember my dreams. Sometimes I do. And the best. You should start a, a podcast for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one of the and and the cathartic yardstick came out of one of those dreams. Yeah. In San Francisco in the '60s at a music festival when they had like strawberry mm-hmm. alarm clock and all that kind of stuff, I had to think of a funky band name. And I thought the cathartic yardstick, and I woke up and I said, "I'm writing that down. That's great." Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyways, we got to do another Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> that was a great episode. That was fun. That was so good. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And uh, even even on that one, um, the uh, the music, the background music to the narration. You know, if mm-hmm. you if you kind of use a, a, a real narration as your the bed that you throw your little cathartic yardstick spins into, you find mm-hmm. out that the music meshes perfectly. With, with the narration, it's just like it, it was done on purpose. <laughs> right. so, I, I love, yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that was Sorry. good. All right. All right. You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. Now here's a bonus dad joke. You know, a woolly mammoth once walked in on me when I was in the shower. It said, sure, it's cute, but can you breathe through it? I mean, this is probably why woolly mammoths went extinct. They were smart. Smart Alex.